If you would remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. I know that it is Palm Sunday this morning. Um, uh, we will not be reading the passage out of Luke uh, about the triumphal entry. We are at uh, chapter 13 now. Uh, so we'll be reading chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. The words are also printed in your bulletins as well. So we'll be looking at Luke 13, verses 1 through 9. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. <clears throat> there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse offenders and all the others who lived in, than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered them, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Since the reading of God's word, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. And as you do, if you would please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. All right, before we get started this morning, I'm going to ask the kids to do me a favor. All right, if you could hold your palm branches up really high. Really high. Okay. Now I need to ask you a favor. Those are palm branches. Those are not weapons. So if you could, during the sermon, if you could not hit your brother with it or your sister or your parents, we'd like you to be able to walk out with your palm branches <laughs> so your parents don't have to take them from you. You guys can put those down. So um, I know I'll probably see some palm branches waving during the sermon, and that's okay. It is Palm Sunday. So, um, but um, we appreciate you guys helping us with the service this morning and, and waving those for us. So um, I don't know if you picked up the latest uh, edition of By Faith Magazine. I don't know if you know what By Faith Magazine even is. Um, it is the publication of the PCA. Uh, they put it out monthly. We have copies of it back there uh, on the table going out. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's actually very well done. Uh, there's some great articles in here, and it keeps you updated on things that are going on in the PCA. But uh, this past month, they had a cover story. It's called Dying with Grace, and it's the story of Kara Tippett's. I don't know if you're familiar with Kara Tippett at all, but she is 
the wife of a PCA church planter in Colorado Springs. Um, her husband's name is Jason Tippetts. And back in 2012, they moved out to Colorado Springs to plant a church. Uh, soon after, they had to evacuate from their house because there was wildfires. And during that time, Kara uh, found out that she was diagnosed with breast cancer. So for the last three years, she has been battling this disease. Um, it was terminal. And just this past Monday, on the 22nd, uh, Kara passed away. And I know that hits home closely to a lot of us here, um, because I know that there are several people in this congregation who have suffered from breast cancer. Uh, praise God uh, for the, those he has healed. Um, he did not choose to, to heal Kara, and he brought her home. She chronicled her battle with this disease on her blog. Uh, it was called Mundane Faithfulness. And in her blog, she blogged about looking for God's grace to show up in even the hardest and the messiest and the ugliest places. Uh, back in the fall of last year in 2014, uh, David C. Cook published her story. And she has a book that is called The Hardest Peace. And obviously, the PCA ran a feature article on her last month in By Faith, and she died this past week, Monday. Uh, I wanted to read part of her obituary that was placed online at her blog, uh, written by one of her friends. It says, Kara fought harder than ever to live well, to love others well with intentionality, especially Jason, her husband, and their children. She refused to be defined by cancer and considered every moment a gift and an opportunity to learn more about God, grace and trust in God. She believed suffering was not an absence of beauty, but an opportunity to understand God's love on a deeper level. And then she quoted something that Kara had written previously. said, My body has grown tired of battle, and treatment is no longer helping. But what I see, what I know, what I have is Jesus. He has given me breath, and with it I pray I live well and fade well. She says, God's grace will carry us, carry us in ways that we cannot comprehend. So why on Palm Sunday, when we're celebrating Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, why are we talking about tragedy and suffering and death? Well, this is where God has led us to this morning as we go through Luke and we find ourselves in chapter 13. Because this is the reality of the world that we live in, is it not? This is our reality. And these are the things that Jesus came to set right through his death and through his resurrection and eventually through his return. So as we look at our passage this morning, we're going to first look a little bit at this theology of tragedy, of these things that God allows to happen. So in Luke here, we hear this story, and this is the only place we hear about this story, uh, about Galileans that had come to Jerusalem and about these 18 that were in the Tower of Siloam. So apparently media outlets of the day were all abuzz, I guess, if they had Twitter then. Uh, the Twitter feed would be going crazy 
uh, about these Galileans who had come down from Galilee to Jerusalem to sacrifice at the temple. Pilate, being the ruthless ruler that he was, for some reason, we have no idea why, uh, he ordered their death. So while they were offering sacrifices, while they were slaughtering animals, they themselves were slaughtered. And it's such a gruesome scene, literally a bloodbath, if you can think of it, uh, that their blood was actually mixed with their sacrifices. So if they were sacrificing a calf or a lamb, the blood of the lamb was being mixed with their own blood. Just a gruesome scene, if you can imagine it. Um, there was another incident where a tower in Jerusalem, the Tower of Siloam, fell. And 18 people, there's probably more people around and more inside, this, this tower fell and 18 people died. So the people who came to Jesus and were talking about these incidents, they had a question, but they didn't verbalize the question. Jesus understood what they wanted to know in their hearts. And what he tells them is that, uh, is the question that they had was they wanted to know if these people somehow deserved what had happened to them. Was this tragic event due to the fact that these Galileans and these other people were worse sinners than others? Is that why this tragedy happened to them? And Jesus' answer to them is a very simple no. These people were not worse. They weren't exceptional sinners who had done these exceptionally sinful things, and neither were the people in the tower. You know, we've heard recently about this plane crash in Germany, or I'm sorry, uh, a German plane, but it was in the French Alps, and the tragedy of this co-pilot and his battles with depression. But these people who died in the plane crash, would we say that these are, were worse people because God allowed them to, to die in this plane crash? You know, we think about the Tower of Siloam, and we can't help but think of September 11. Were those people who died in the World Trade Center or on those, those planes, were they worse sinners than the ones who survived? Would we say that? No, we wouldn't. Because Kara Tippetts died this past week when she got cancer, would we say that she was a worse sinner? No, Jesus says very simply no. When tragic events happen, don't fall into the trap of thinking that this is happening to me because I am such a terrible person. When we start to believe this, we get in this mindset that we deserve the tragedy that is happening to us. And this is where we need to be very, very careful. Jesus makes it clear that things do not happen only to people who are, quote unquote, worse than others. But let's be honest, tragedy does happen because of sin. If sin had not entered the world, these Galileans would not have been slaughtered. The Tower of Siloam would not have fallen. The German flight would not have crashed. September 11 would never have happened. Kara Tippetts would still be alive. Without sin, there would be no cancer. There would be no terrible diseases. There would be no heart-wrenching tragedies. These things happen as a result of our fallen world. So what is our proper response to tragedy? Kara Tippetts knew that God was using her and this tragedy to bring him glory. And through her death, she was able to point many people to Christ. 
So here's what I'm saying for us this morning. I'm not saying to just put a smile on your face and rejoice in the fact that God is using personal tragedy for your glory. Kara didn't do that. It wasn't like, I have cancer and it's great. She suffered, but she pointed people to Christ. What I'm saying is this, is that we need to grieve that tragedy exists and grieve that we live in a fallen world and long for the day when tragic events will be gone forever. And we need to believe, as Kara did, that suffering was not an absence of beauty, but it's an opportunity to understand God's love on a deeper level. That's not easy. That's not easy. You know, in our passage this morning, Jesus does not spend much time discussing the theology of tragedy. He doesn't go into great detail on it. Uh, What he does point, though, is his hearers to the more important and the more pressing matter, that everyone will perish. So the point that Jesus is trying to draw out here is that everyone is going to perish unless we repent. So Jesus cuts to the chase, and he focuses on what is really important in these two incidences. Uh, the people who came to Jesus, concerned about, uh, they were concerned about how these people died. But Jesus seemed to be more concerned with the fact that everyone is going to die and that we need to repent. Jesus is saying here that everyone in the world is in the same boat. We all have the same status. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. Uh, The people were talking about physical death and these physical tragedies, but Jesus wanted to draw their attention to something even more important, the spiritual. This is what was happening at the triumphal triumphal entry into Jerusalem. People were focused on Jesus, wanting him to be their physical king, wanting him to drive out the Romans so that they could be free from the oppression. But in reality, he came for spiritual reasons, to drive out sin. Jesus is calling us here to repentance. And repentance isn't a flippant, I'm sorry. Something that we often throw around or something that, if you're like me, make your child say to another child when a toy is stolen uh, or uh, when somebody uh, gets in trouble. No, repentance is something deeper. It is something more substantial. Repentance is something that involves our whole being. We can think of repentance as kind of three things. Uh, Repentance is is something that uh, involves contrition. And what I mean by that is that it involves our emotions. It's a feeling that we come face to face with the fact that we are sinners. And when we do, we have this sense of of guilt and shame for our sin. We we feel it inside of ourselves. We have a contrite spirit. And that leads us into confession, which involves our, our intellect. We know that we are a sinner and we admit it to God and we trust in Christ for our forgiveness. If you remember the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, which we'll get to in a few chapters here in Luke, the tax collector has contrition for his sins. He comes to the temple and he goes off by himself, whereas the Pharisee, he stands in the middle and he draws attention to himself. But the tax collector, he won't even look up. Instead, he looks down, and uh, as God's word said, he beats his breast, and he says, Lord, have mercy on me, 
a sinner. He has contrition and he confesses. But repentance doesn't just stop there. It's like telling my children, you need to go say you're sorry to your brother or sister. Well, usually it ends there. Uh, if they're like us, then, you know, something's going to happen in a few minutes. Uh, they've stolen a toy, and it's probably going to be stolen again. But repentance doesn't just end with an I'm sorry. What happens next is a change. It's volitional. When we repent, our actions are affected. And this leads perfectly into Jesus' parable here about the barren fig tree. So Jesus tells this brief little parable, and you have a man who plants a fig tree in his vineyard, and for three years it produces nothing, no fruit. Each time he comes to it, and there's nothing on it to speak of. And he tells the vine dresser to simply cut it down. He's done. But the vine dresser asks for a chance to help it out, maybe dig around it, maybe help it with some manure, maybe something will happen and it will produce next year, and if not, then let's cut it down. You know, last week we talked about the fact that the world is divided into two types of people. And there's two types of fig trees here that Jesus is talking about. There are those who produce fruit and those who don't. We talked last week that there are two types of people, those who believe in Jesus and those who do not. Those who produce fruit for the Lord and those who do not. The truth of the gospel is that if you believe in Jesus, you will produce fruit. We don't produce fruit because we are exceptional people. To borrow another analogy that Jesus uses in John 15, the reason that we produce fruit is that we are connected to the vine that is Christ. We produce fruit because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. When we become Christians... Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, we become a new creation. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Ezekiel tells us in chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. Be careful to obey my rules. Galatians 5, 22 through 24 tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have been crucified in the flesh with its passions and its desires. In the book of James, he tells us in 2 verse 18, he says, Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now I know I'm treading on dangerous waters here. This is a very tight line that we have to walk. We as Reformed Christians stand in the truths of the Reformation. It's not by our works that we are saved, and that is absolutely true. But, as James says, faith without works is dead. We show our faith by what we do. 
you know, this famous verse in Ephesians uh, that we hold up as this great uh, Reformation verse where he said, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do, that we should walk in them. So to say that such an inward change in us, that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus, that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, to say that there's an inward change without any outward display is a discredit to the power of God. I'm not saying, once again, that we conjure up these things out of our own strength. What the Bible tells us is that the Spirit of the living God is dwelling inside of us, and it will be evident in the way that we live our lives. When God plants us as a fig tree, we produce fruit. One of the ways that we show this fruit, one of the most uh, important fruits that we will display is an increase in the repentance of our sin. It may seem a little counterintuitive. Popular belief would say that Christians will repent of sin less and less because we become better people, right? Christians are, are these great people. They're, they're almost perfect. And when we come to church, we come and we're surrounded by these really good people. And there's not much of that, that we have to confess of. But actually, that's not true. Becoming a Christian actually leads us to more confession and to more repentance. One of the fruits that we will see in our lives as Christians is a, is a more quickly to falling to our knees to repent of our sin. Remember the cross chart that we have talked about in the past and you've talked about in your missional community groups. As we grow in our relationship with the Lord, we have this deeper understanding of our sin and we come to confess it more and more. The other fruit that we produce show up in varying degrees and at different times. So I don't want you to hear that because we are Christians and we are supposed to produce fruit, that we are supposed to be joyful and loving and have this amazing peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control all the time. Would that that would be the case. Uh, That will happen when Christ comes again. No one ever displays these things perfectly, but when we don't display them as followers of Christ, the Spirit leads us to then have a contrite heart and to seek that we confess those things to the Lord. When I lose my temper with my children, and if you ask my children, it happens, and probably too frequently. When I don't exhibit patience or gentleness or self-control, There are these pangs of guilt that appear. Usually it's later. I wish that it would appear at that moment. It's it's often difficult in the moment to stop and say, wait a minute, Mike. You're not displaying self-control here. You're not having patience with your children. Stop and let the Spirit work in you to produce some self-control. What often happens is that after the fact, I look back and I hang my head and think, why? Why did I lose my temper like that? And confession follows. Sometimes it actually does happen when the fruit is displayed without me flying off the handle. You know, those moments are just God's grace. 
they happen few and far between. I would hope that they would happen more often. But that is a gift from God when we are actually able to display the fruits of the Spirit. It is certainly a gift. So what Jesus is saying here in this parable is that he is continuing to beat this drum that he has beaten over the last several chapters as he has turned his face towards Jerusalem as he knows that his time is coming. He is saying that the patience of the man who owned the vineyard would not last forever. If the fig tree did not produce, it was going to be cut down. The patience that God has will not last forever as well. And honestly, how patient God has been with us. Not just three years, it's been 2,000 years. And honestly, it may be another 2,000. We don't know. It may be another 2,000 seconds. We may not even finish out this day. We may not even finish out this service. Whether you are a Christian or not, there is no need to hesitate. Jesus is calling us to repent of our sins. So what? So as we conclude this morning, so what? What does this matter in our lives? So as we we have this image of Jesus riding into Jerusalem, palm branches are waving all around him. We know that in a few short days, this crowd that was once calling Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. They're going to turn on him. And they're instead going to be shouting, crucify him. Crucify him. No one could have predicted that. No one knew what was about to have happen, and we don't know either. All we know is that the time is short. So do not hesitate. The window of opportunity to repent and to bear fruit will not remain open forever. We do not know when our time on earth will be done. Kara Tippett had 38 years. My friend Mike, who died while I was in college, had 19. Helen, the young girl who I shared with you earlier this year, uh, or last year, who was in my youth group in Augusta, she had 16 years. We don't know. God is calling us to take advantage of the time that he has given us to repent, knowing that the blood of Christ has covered our sins. And that we can be assured of salvation, that we can be assured of our forgiveness, we can be assured of our pardon. If you've never confessed your sin to God and trusted in Christ for salvation, the time is now. Do not wait. There is no better time than the present, as they say. And as I mentioned last week, come talk to me. If you want to have a conversation about this, there is no conversation more important in all the world than that conversation. If you're a Christian as well, there is no better time than the present. Don't hold on. Take time. Take advantage of the time to repent to God. Take advantage of the time and repent to others. Let us live together bearing the fruit that God has prepared in advance for us to do giving glory to God. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, you who have been so patient and loving to us, showing us mercy upon mercy.
We thank you and praise you for our King, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who came humbly into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, riding as he knew to his death, his death that would save us from our sins. Father, I pray that you would draw us to our knees in repentance, knowing that we are sinners, that we can confess our sins to you because you have accomplished forgiveness for us. I pray that in tragedy that we would turn to you, knowing that you are using these for your glory, for the advancement of your kingdom, even though we may not even understand. Father, draw us closer to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.